Well, good morning. And um, happy April. And, and it is April, I know, because I went outside this morning. I had no idea that it snowed, and you might not either. But there was like little flakes all over my car. Like, what in the world? But it is NEPA, right? So better than uh, April is uh, happy Palm Sunday to you. And uh, the first day uh, of Holy Week, as we call it, and it's great to be here. Looking forward to next Sunday, Easter Sunday, our Good Friday service. Uh, this coming Friday evening, Scott will give you more details about that. We'll be celebrating communion together. Remember Christ's death for us. That's the Good Friday story. And then, of course, wow, Resurrection Sunday, a week from today. Hard to believe, but that's, that's where we are. So, as you know, Palm Sunday, we're here. I don't know if that's a Sunday that you just, uh, you, you hear it, you know it's the week before Easter, but don't always understand. We, we know the palm branches and Jesus riding on the donkey and all that, but, but what's involved? And, and, and as we, we call it Palm Sunday, it's really more accurately known as the triumphal entry. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. We're going to look at that. And and then, as we said, the first day of Holy Week, which starts, yes, today and, and moves on through the week. And, uh, and then it's also known as Passion Week. And Passion Week, because of the suffering, uh, the Latin word in passion tells us about suffering. And, of course, we know, especially as we think ahead to the cross, that Jesus suffered on the cross for us. And the week of the crucifixion and and then, of course, his resurrection from the dead Easter. And, 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 and I would think that these pictures, I, I didn't have to look hard, just Googled it. You know, it's like, wow, what did I do years ago? Well, we didn't have Google. But a couple of pictures, and, and this may be what you typically think of. You know, Jesus is there. He's riding on the donkey. And, and both pictures, I didn't find two, but there really were. Only one of the Gospels talks about the two, but, but there was. And then there it is, the people putting their, their coats down on the, on the ground and, and all of what's going on. And we typically think that of, of Palm Sunday. But uh, this morning, I want you to think with me beyond all of that. That's what we typically know of. That's what sticks in our hearts and our minds. And we remember that. And, and that was certainly part of it when we... Uh, consider Palm Sunday, but what is the big deal about Palm Sunday? Do we really understand what's involved? Uh, what is its significance? Why is it a special day on the church's calendar? Why did Jesus ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? What did Jesus intend to accomplish on that good or that Palm Sunday uh, when he triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem. And we want to look at that this morning, so I'd invite you to open your Bibles with it in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, and uh, as we look at Matthew 21 together, and we're going to look at the first 11 verses, if you don't have a Bible or a tablet or a phone or whatever and want a hard copy of the Bible underneath the chair in front of you, there should be a copy. That is on page 690 in that Bible. Now, I've given you three other references because we're going to take a look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We'll spend the bulk of our time in Matthew, 
but these are parallel accounts that talk about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem as well. Palm Sunday. So Mark chapter 11, first 10 verses. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. And then John chapter 12, verses 9 to 19. Now, if you want to use your fingers, you know how that goes. Or if you have uh, bookmarks, my Bible is full of bookmarks because I mark up all these different spots and I want to remember them and turn to them. So however you want to do that, or if you just want to write them down as you're taking notes and take a look at them later, I'll have the verses on the screen so that you can follow with me. But of course, the best thing for you to do is somewhere along the way when we're done to dig into the Bible on your own and look through the text and, and do what the believers in Berea did. They searched the scriptures to see whether the things that they had heard were so, all right? So you do that too. That's critical for us to know what we believe and what God's word says. So I'm going to be moving from one reference to the other back and forth a little bit and you can follow me there. Or, or just watch, and, and we'll see as we move through that. So we're going to take a look at the account of Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, and we're going to use all of the four historical accounts. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, typically the first four books of the New Testament. And, and I won't go into a whole study in bibliology this morning, but the first four books written by Matthew, the tax collector, written by Mark, John Mark, probably with a lot of help and information from Peter, the apostle Peter. And then, of course, you got Luke, who wrote Luke and the book of Acts. And then you've got, he, Luke was a doctor, so he was very intelligent. In fact, uh, Mitch reminded us a month or so ago about how he dug into that to see what things were certain and true. And then we've got John the disciple whom the Lord loved, the fourth gospel. And they give us historical eyewitness accounts of what happened during the Easter week, during the Passion Week, the Holy Week. And it's critical that we understand, yes, historical accounts. This stuff is true, folks. It's history. It's not just sometimes we think, well, the Bible, it's it, eh, it's nice stuff and nice stories and, and interesting and all the rest. Now, this is historical, accurate stuff, truth, information. And we need to look at it as that. So we're going to view what they had to say. So again, I want you to think with me this morning. and Follow along in your Bibles or tablets or phones with me or on the screens. And, and as we start, I want to give a little bit of background that kind of sets the tone for Jesus' triumphal entry, what leads up to that whole day. And so as we, in John chapter 11, and I don't have all of this on there for you, but if you want to check it out, John chapter 11 and 12, there's a lot of information of what's going on there. And John chapter 11, verses 43 and 44, we find that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been in the tomb, he'd been dead four days. And he was the brother of Mary and Martha. And if you have any familiarity with uh, that relationship, uh, uh, Mary and Martha, two sisters who really loved Jesus, and, and, and they ha had a home in Bethany. We'll look at that in a minute. But their brother Lazarus was sick and he died. But Jesus showed up and after four days in the grave raised him from the dead. That was a significant thing. 
as it leads up to Palm Sunday and the Easter week. So then as we moved on from there, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin began their plot to kill Jesus. It had been somewhat going on beforehand, but Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That was kind of the last straw. That kind of really turned their anger up a few notches at what this Jesus was going to do. And so that was a significant response. Jesus no longer uh, moved around publicly among the Jews. And we're told at the end of John chapter 11 that he withdrew. And he had come all the way from Galilee up north down through to Jericho. And then from Jericho up to Jerusalem. But stopped prior to that in Bethany and stayed we're told at the end there of the book of John John chapter 11 I should say and spent time in a village of Ephraim away from the crowds well six days before the Passover which was Friday began Friday good Friday six days before that Jesus went to Bethany and he went to Lazarus' house. Boy, what a, what a reunion that would have been because he'd already raised Lazarus from the dead. And there was Mary and Martha. And Martha had served a dinner. Martha was quite a, quite a house, hospitality person, quite a cook, quite a housekeeper. And, and she focused on that. And she prepared the dinner in Jesus' honor. And that's where, if you remember, Mary anointed Jesus' feet with perfume and then wiped her feet with her hair. We're told that in John chapter uh, 12 and, uh, and, and with the expensive perfume. And, of course, that's where Judas Iscariot, the, who would ultimately betray Jesus, uh, accused Mary of why did you waste your money? That's expensive perfume. It could have been sold and given to the poor. Yeah, like he really cared. And, uh, but, but that leads us right up to where we are now in John chapter 12. And so in John chapter 12, we've just the, the beginning verses, the first eight verses, we just had the dinner that we talked about, probably the last happy, really enjoyable meal that Jesus had with his friends other than the last supper with the 12. And there he is there with them. And we get to verse 9 of John chapter 12. And we read this, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there in Bethany at Lazarus' home and came, not only because of him, Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And so the chief priests made plans. They plotted to kill Lazarus as well. They're irritated. I mean, here Jesus raises them the dead and from the dead, and, and, and the Jewish leaders, they're ticked off too now, more at Jesus. And they figure, well, Lazarus, he's he we can't deny him what's happened. He's a, a living proof of the power of God. We're gonna get rid of him too. So that was their plan. Verse 11: for on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in Jesus. The next day, that's Palm Sunday, all right, verse 12 of John 12, the great crowd that had come for the festival, Passover, all right, that was remembering the Passover back in Exodus with Moses and the Lamb and, and how God used that to deliver the nation of Israel from, from Egypt. And so they're celebrating that. And what would happen is people from all over Israel, all really around 
that the then known world would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. They would come a week early many times to get the ceremonial cleansing there at the temple that was necessary. And uh, so that's what was going on. They say they'd come for the festival, the Passover, and heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. We just sang that. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now move to Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. Matthew chapter 21, and starting at verse 1. And we read, as they approached Jesus, this is, or Jerusalem, this is Jesus with his disciples and some of the crowd that, of faithful followers that had come with him from Bethany and uh, maybe some others that had come out from Jerusalem prior to that day were following him. In. So as they came in, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Now, another little town, probably about a mile to the east or southeast of Jerusalem. And um, now, let me just say the Mount of Olives. If you've ever been to Israel, it, it's, you can see when you stand on the Mount of Olives, you can see the Temple Mount. Now, that's certainly not what was there when, when this was happening, the Jesus that we're reading here. But it's a beautiful view from the top of the Mount of Olives. But but one of the things that's significant here, as he came to the Mount of Olives, one day, the Old Testament prophecy, the future tells us that when Jesus returns to this earth, not at the rapture, at the second coming, he is going to come to Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. That's pretty cool. And as you dig into that and study that, but that's what's going on. Jesus sent two of his disciples as he got there to Bethpage, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, and that was in Zechariah 9.9. If you have a, a, a reference Bible, it's probably listed for you somewhere. There's a footnote, Zechariah 9.9. And, and what Jesus was doing with this donkey was a fulfillment of Scripture, of prophecy that had been made years ago. And, and this is happening, according to that, for the Messiah to ride into Jerusalem. All right, this wasn't just some oh, last-minute idea. Oh, yeah, hey, guys. Go look for this. No, this is all part of God's plan and the providential plan of what was going on. In verse 5, we read, Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. Your king comes to you. He's talking about himself, but that's the prophecy that he's, he's referring to. Gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Now, some might say, well, why a donkey? If he's coming as a king, why would a king ride a donkey? Well, the, the, the tradition was when a conquering king came into a town, as a warrior, he rode a horse. Jesus returns to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem at the second coming. We're told he's going to be on a white horse and the armies will be following him. 
But when you ride a donkey, you're riding, you're coming in peace. You're coming as a servant. You're not coming to make war. You're not coming for destruction or killing or any of that war kind of stuff. You're coming in peace as a servant, as a humble servant riding on a donkey. That's the significance of that. Then we move ahead to John chapter 12 and verse 16, and I'm going to come back to this thought, but here's what John says. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Now, that may be sound a little odd to you. What do you mean they didn't understand? They'd been with him for like three years. He'd taught them that. He'd talked to them about what was going to happen. I'll make reference to that later, but that's what we read only after Jesus was glorified. That's his death, his burial, and his resurrection and ascension. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him, about Jesus, and that these things had been done to him. Matthew chapter 21, back to Matthew again, all right? Don't, don't, don't get confused. Just stay with me, and, and if you're struggling, that's all right. I'll have it here, but stay with me and listen, and make sure you get it down so you can follow through later on. So as we walk through that, verse 8, a very large crowd sped their, spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches. Now, we already had made reference back in John chapter 12 to the palm branches, and the palm branches were a symbol of a national symbol of independent Israel. They're also a symbol of victory. In fact, you could look at coins that were made back in that day of Jesus, and you would have palm branches on the coins. And if you ever, that, that's why it was a symbol. It was like waving the Jewish flag as Jesus rode into town as their king. And, and as it says there, they cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. We'll talk about those references, what they cry out just a bit. But, but when we read that, um, the, the, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him... He was leading, and he had been from Bethany through Bethpage, where they got the, the donkey, actually the, the baby donkey that he actually rode on, and the mother donkey. Probably he's the first one to ride on that baby donkey and would have been very unsettled with all of the crowd activity going on around. So the mother donkey would have been side by side to bring peace and calm to that baby donkey, all right? And so Jesus is riding on that. And as we, as we pick this up, we realize that there's crowds following him, behind him. But then it says there's crowds in front of him. What was that? People in Jerusalem who had come for the Passover feast, who had come early for the ceremonial cleansing, had heard all about this. The word about Lazarus, we already read that, right? The word had spread. They didn't need to Google or, you know internet or Facebook or whatever else. They didn't need texting to, hey, you guys should have seen what happened. It, the word spread. Now, remember, we're not talking from here to California, right? We're talking a few miles. 
And, and, and so as that happened, people were coming out of Jerusalem to see what was going on, what was happening. They'd gotten word that Jesus was on his way into town. So they came out of town to meet him, to see him. And so you had the crowd behind, you had the crowd in front of him. And as they move forward, and the one thing I'll mention, son of David, that's a clear reference to Jesus as the Messiah. A clear prophetic fulfillment of that. Then we move to Luke chapter 19, in verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, and of course coming out of Jerusalem, some of the Pharisees did too, because we already know they were ticked off that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. They didn't know how to respond to it. They didn't know what they were going to do, because all of a sudden, Jesus is only getting stronger, more powerful, at least in the view of the public. And so now they're coming out to see what's going on, and of course typical negative guys that they were, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why? Because they realized, the Pharisees realized, that the crowds were acknowledging that Jesus was the king, the Messiah. And that's something that the Pharisees absolutely wouldn't admit. The Jews at that point filling, no way were they going to receive Jesus as the Messiah. Rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And that had to make them even more livid. Why? Because Jesus continued to accept the praise of the people. Why? Because he was God. Because he was the Messiah. And Jesus says, If they don't, the rocks will cry out. Have you ever heard that quote, right? Well, this is where it comes from and why. So he's saying they have to praise me. If they didn't, the rocks would cry out. Verse 41, Luke 19. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Now, you've heard that the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. Well, that's in the book of John, and that's, when Lazarus is still dead and in the tomb, right? That's, this is a different weeping. This is Jesus on Palm Sunday on the way into Jerusalem as he peeks at the Mount of Olives and he looks down at the city of Jerusalem. He sees the city of Jerusalem and wept over it and said, if you, even you, he's talking about the Jews that are in Jerusalem, had only known on this day What would bring you peace? If you had only known, what would bring you peace? Oh, don't you feel that today? We look around the world. And if people in the world that are so full of anger and bitterness and disgust, and, and, and whatever else, and, and hurt, physical hurt, emotional hurt. And we look at that, and, and if only they would know the peace that God alone can bring to the heart of an individual. And that's what Jesus is thinking. If you, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from you. Jesus would soon, in a week, 
Five days die on the cross to provide the peace that he was talking about. But let's keep going. Jesus wept, brokenhearted for people who don't know God by faith in Jesus Christ. Have no peace, no hope. That's what he's brokenhearted about. John 12, 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead. Do you see again the significance of what happened when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? Raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. That's how the crowds had come to meet him. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this side, went out to meet him from Jerusalem. We mentioned that. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The Pharisees felt things slipping away. Their plan, that they wanted to reject Jesus. They were out to get him, to kill him. They absolutely were. We've seen that. And, and, and they feel that. Now the whole world has gone after him. At least, you know, that's a, a, a figure of speech that he's using to refer to so many people because they heard about or saw Lazarus who'd been raised from the dead. Matthew 21, back to verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Wow. The whole city was stirred, moved or shaken. You know what the word there is? It's the word for seismic, which measures earthquakes, right? That's the word. Now, there wasn't, please, I'm not saying there was an earthquake in Jerusalem, but the city was moved. You know, it's not the first time that's happened. Do you remember in Matthew 2, after Jesus was born and the wise men came looking for him? And they went to Herod, and word spread that there was the king of the Jews who had been born. And the wise men went there. And what does it say about the whole city of Jerusalem? It was like, wow, they they were moved. There was a stirring because of the birth of Jesus. That's pretty cool. And here we are at the end of his life. The whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Well, the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, they all did not know exactly what that meant or who he really was. Certainly, he was a prophet, but more than that. So here's the deal. My question to you, based on that, what will it take to shake your town? What will it take to shake your town? Wherever you live, maybe it's Clark Summit, maybe it's South Ave, maybe it's Clark Green, maybe it's Waverly, maybe it's Dalton, maybe it's Scranton, maybe it's Chinchilla, maybe it's Moscow, maybe it's wherever, Oliphant, Peckville, Dixon City, you pick it. What will it take to shake your town? I want you to keep that in mind because... As we work through this, I want to ask you some questions to think about that. Because it, it was the truth about Jesus that made the difference and that shook people up and stirred their hearts. Who were the crowds? Well, keep in mind this Passover crowd was composed of at least three groups. 
And as you study through the text, you can, you can find and see who's who. But at least three, the people who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, those who were right there in Bethany, that would have been a smaller crowd uh, because those that were there when, when Jesus arrived and, and by then Lazarus had been dead four days and people who had maybe been there to help grieve and mourn initially were gone. But Mary and Martha and their friends were told and, and, and there was a crowd of people who saw Jesus raised. Lazarus from the dead. And you can check that out in John chapter 12. And then there was a crowd from Galilee, the crowd who had come down from the north, up where Jesus had spent a lot of his time, up in Capernaum and Bethsaida and, and, and Caesarea Philippi and, and, and that area up around the, the Sea of Galilee. And, and they were coming down to Jerusalem because of the Passover, because of the festival. And there was that crowd. And those people knew a lot about Jesus because Jesus had been out among them publicly for about three years doing all kinds of miracles and preaching the truth and people were believing. And then as they moved on down through the main road, down through Jericho and then up into Jerusalem, those were there, the the Passover Jews who were supportive, who understood, who were faithfully pursuing the Passover in Jerusalem. And then they had the Jews who lived in Jerusalem, some supportive, some not. A lot of it is if you'll look back in, Luke, in John chapter 6, you'll find out that when, as Jesus had been preaching at one time, uh, he, he talked about some things that were pretty hard about the need to follow him. And, and at that point, a lot of disciples who had only been following because they'd seen Jesus feed 5,000 people or 4,000 people or walk on the water or perform other miracles. And, and when he had preached things that were hard to believe when they were just there for the excitement of the thing or just because they were made to feel better for a time, we're told they walked away. They weren't real followers of Jesus to begin with then if they would walk away. And so as we see that, there were those crowds. So those were the crowds. It was made up of not all pure, holy, 100% all-in kinds of followers. Because remember, what uh, five days later, what the crowds did. They weren't shouting Hosanna, they were shouting what? Crucify him, crucify him. So what was Jesus' purpose? Well, what was the intent? What did he want to accomplish with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem? He entered Jerusalem for the last time in a manner that showed he was none other than the promised prophesied Messiah, the coming King of Israel, the Son of David. And that was, that was significant And when he claimed that. The significance of the triumphal entry is tremendous. And, and one writer says it this way, to Matthew, it is the final and official presentation of Jesus to Israel as its Messiah. He deliberately makes very careful preparation to fulfill every detail of prophecy. There was no question that he was the Messiah. And then all of the deliberate preparation that Jesus had made for his his ride into Jerusalem uh, contrasts with his approach formerly. You'll remember any time he had healed somebody or done something significant, he said, now don't tell anybody because it wasn't yet his time. It now is his time. 
And that's what we're finding out as we look at that. And so we know that things have changed. And he before had not wanted to draw attention to himself. Now he prepared to do so. He had formally withdrawn from any antagonistic Jewish hierarchy, the leaders of the Roman uh, authorities. He, he didn't want to, to stir up the pot with them. But here he is now. He'd organized a parade from Bethany two miles into Jerusalem that nobody would miss. Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. The response of the crowds was, Hosanna. That simply means, save us now. What were they looking at? They were looking at saving from the Roman Empire. Yeah, there, there was a messianic excitement. They believed he was the mess- Messiah. Many of them, at least they cried out that way. But there was also... Uh, the hatred of the Roman Empire was reaching a peak and they believed Jesus was coming to deliver them from the Roman Empire. Save us now, son of David. Title of Messiah that indicates his role as king. King David. Because we know an heir had been promised that would sit on the throne, an heir of David, and Jesus was that. You follow the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 and we know that that's true. But he is also, they said, he who comes in the name of the Lord. Another, again, another reference to Jesus as the Messiah. Many were now declaring loudly, publicly, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the king, and he didn't stop them. There's no question who Jesus was. He knew who he was. His followers, some of them, genuinely knew. They may not have understood all the details. In fact, remember what we read from John chapter 12 and verse 16. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified. We're talking about his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Only then did they understand that all of this and what was going on had been written about him. The one that they had just spent three years with day in and day out. And the crowds, like the disciples, did not really understand the purpose of the Messiah. So that's why we we many times get hung up on, well, how in the world could they do this on Palm Sunday and five days later on Good Friday yell, crucify him, crucify him. Here they're ready to make him king. Well, because guess what? He didn't liberate Israel from Rome. He didn't do what many of them had expected. He didn't conquer the city of Jerusalem. He didn't overthrow the Roman Empire. Right? I'm happy when, we do, when you do what I want, but when you don't, well, hmm, I'll look somewhere else. And sometimes that's the way we treat Jesus. Sometimes that's the way we act with our own Savior. We read the Word of God and we claim a promise, and if it doesn't happen the way we think it should happen, hmm, well, maybe there's something better. That's what's happening here. So two responses that took place. Um, Jesus had been telling the disciples that this was going to happen. In fact, three times, three different times. The book of Luke has all three. You can read through all four Gospels, actually. I think. I don't know if it has. I don't remember if it's in John, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have three times. It's specifically that Jesus said. Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 34. I think I have that on the screen. 
And, and it said, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Jesus had told them about his death, his burial, his resurrection, and he was doing it, what, what the beating would involve, the suffering, and they couldn't handle it. In fact, do you remember Peter, the first time he heard it, said, No! No, Jesus, not so! And Jesus said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Woo! <laughs> Amen. Wow, Caitlin. Five, give me five. Man. But there you have it. John 11, we read, Therefore many of the Jews had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him, raising Lazarus from the dead. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them Jesus what Jesus had done, the chief priests and Pharisees called the meeting of the Sanhedrin. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. They're out to get Jesus. But folks, think about this. This is all part of God's plan. Acts 4 talks about Herod and Pontius Pilate did what they did to Jesus. And yet they did that because it was all part of God's plan. They didn't know it, but God's plan would be fulfilled. So the two responses that we can summarize, many believed in Jesus. John chapter 12, verses 10 and 11 tell us that. Many believed in Jesus. But on the other hand, some rejected Jesus as the Savior Messiah. No way. And they went to the Pharisees and let them know and then we get to Luke chapter 19, verses 41 and 42, and we talked about the weeping, and he, it says that if you had only known what would bring you peace, I have to ask you as we wrap up this morning, are you at peace with God? Maybe I should just, before I even say with God, are you at peace? How's your life today? You full of hope? Or is it hopeless? Is it fear? You look around today, you, you look at what's going on in our world, you look at what's going on in our country, and maybe there's fear, uncertainty. What in the world? I have no idea. There's no hope. We, I don't have peace. You look around, you go, how can, we, how can we be full of peace when we see all this? And yet Jesus came. To bring peace. He wept when he looked at Jerusalem. Are you at peace with God today? If not, where? How will you find peace? You see, so much of what is done in our world today 
People are looking for peace. People are looking for hope. People are looking for meaning in life. They're looking for purpose and satisfaction. We get caught up in the, I, go to, I get up in the morning, I, I go to work or I go to school, and I come home at the end of the day, and I, and I do what I do. I go to bed, and I get up and do it all over again, and on and on and on and on. Where's the purpose in all of that? Jesus Christ came to provide peace. Palm Sunday, the purpose, he tells us he came to provide forgiveness for our sins. And that's what brings peace. We're born sinners. We're told all have sinned and fall short of God's standard, his glory. But Jesus came with the gift of forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And it's only through Jesus. And when we experience the forgiveness of sin, guess what? That's where the peace comes. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, if you're here today, you may not believe it. You say, I don't know, I'm trying everything else. You will never find peace in this world in any way, shape, or form that lasts without Jesus. And ultimately, one day, if you don't know the peace of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, where he died in our place, he shed his blood to pay for our sin, the pay, the penalty that we owed God, what we had deserved, and Jesus took our place and paid our debt so that we could be forgiven and at peace with God. And that's the only way. What Jesus did for us requires a response. And if you're here today with no peace, with no hope, full of fear, full of uncertainty, you need Jesus. That's why he died on the cross. It's, it's what we call in the Bible the gospel. Jesus died in our place for our sins. So which crowd do you connect with this morning? Those who knew and loved and believed and followed Jesus no matter what? Or those who when things didn't go the way they wanted turned their backs and rejected and yelled crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It's up to you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we must stand out as different. Let me wrap it up right here. John 12, 35 and 36. Jesus had told, he said this, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. He was talking about himself. While, or walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light, Jesus, while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, he left and hid himself from them. Now, there's the context of what's going on in that day, because everybody was looking for him. But for you and I, 
We walk while we have light. Jesus is coming again. You have the opportunity today to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to receive the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And when we believe that and receive it, then he says to us in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, now you are the light. Let your light shine so that people will see how you live, your good works, and give glory to God in heaven. By the way we live, we point people to Jesus. We let our light shine. So how do you need to respond? in light of what you just heard. Are you without peace today? You can receive the peace of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be forgiven. He will give you peace because he died on the cross. That's what Good Friday is all about. Shed his blood to pay for our sin and we can be forgiven and know peace with God. If you're here today and don't know Jesus, you have no peace, please. Oh, it's like, oh, Jesus cried. He wept for you. Brothers and sisters who know Jesus, you've got that light. You know the peace. Let your light shine and let people see Jesus as you point them to him. So what will it take to shake your town? It takes you and me letting our light shine. So much so that people see Jesus and give glory to God in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For Jesus, for all that he's done for us. Thank you that he came to this earth, that he loved us, that he died for us, that he paid the penalty for our sin the debt that we owed you because of our sin. God, I pray that if there are any here today who do not know Jesus, I pray, God, that you'd open their heart. Bring Holy Spirit conviction and cause them to see their need of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ to know peace. Oh, God, I pray that that would be true for any who don't know you who are just miserable and without peace. God, for those of us who know Christ, God, don't let us get caught up in ourselves or what's going on in this life. Help us, God, to live our lives in such a way that our light shines brightly and zeroes in, points people to Jesus. For it's in Christ's name I pray.